How's it going, everyone? My name is Chris Hagen, and this is Above the Standard, the podcast brought to you by Barbell Battalion. If you haven't, check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, like and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and uh, Apple. All right. So today, we talk with Dr. Jeff Burgess. He's a professor and associate dean of research at the University of Arizona. And Dr. Burgess is super involved with occupational exposures. What the hell is that? That's cancer. That's cancer research, and he has done a ton of it for firefighters. This guy speaks like he's on the job. And we go through and we talk a ton about the research that he has done to bring awareness to the exposures that we are all getting on jobs. Doesn't matter if you're inside or outside running rehab, you're getting exposed to cancer, and we talk about all of that today. So please give it up for Dr. Jeff Burgess. All right, and we're recording. Uh, all right, so today on Above the Standard Podcast, we're talking with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Burgess. Uh, he's the Associate Dean of, uh, for Research and a professor at the College of Public Health for the University of Arizona. Um, and Jeff, thank you so much for giving us your time today to, to talk about a lot of, a lot of topics that I think are very important to uh, firefighters. Well, Chris, thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, so uh, I just had learned about your, um, your, your studying, your, your work, and your research just from other podcasts, and it really got me uh, interested. I love talking with um, those in the educational community that uh, have a niche or at least a, a method of research within the fire service because you know even even podcasts and you know forms of research and, and stuff that we can find through Google um, a lot of times they don't hit our our radar um, even if it's on the most popular of, of channels even if Joe Rogan and every the most popular podcast did something you know some of that stuff is going to be just not absorbed so um, Again, thank you for uh, taking the time um, to talk with us. So, um, Doctor, what what's your um, what's your medical background, and um, how did you find yourself uh, teaching with the University of Arizona? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. So, I started off in emergency medicine here at the University of Arizona. So that's a you know three year program. Uh, obviously, worked with firefighters, but more on the EMS side, right, coming in uh, at that point. And then after I did that, I, I did a medical toxicology fellowship. So after I finished my emergency medicine, was working as an emergency doc, uh, did, did two years of this medical toxic, uh, toxicology fellowship. A lot of that's working with poison centers. Um, I think, you know, the firefighters would be familiar with people calling in there for information. Um, and while I was doing that, I started to get interested in industrial hygiene, and that's the actual measurement of exposures. So I, I met industrial hygienists for the first time, saw what they did. That was really interesting and did that training along with the medical toxicology work. Um, following that, I, I left Tucson, went back up to the Northwest where I'm from, Alaska, Washington, um, specifically University of Washington and did an occupational medicine fellowship, you know, so that's taking care of, of workers 
um, looking at their exposures and their health effects. And uh, then kind of came back down here to to uh, University of Arizona and uh, where I'm currently working. And two things that that came up working with firefighters. One was actually when I was doing that industrial hygiene work, it was a master's program. I had to do some research and I was working with a guy that did fit testing for respirators. So I ended up doing fit testing for firefighters working with Tucson fire department. So that's almost 30 years ago now. Um, and again, I realized how great it was working with firefighters. I mean, they're willing to participate in research. They're interested in a, you know, the results that come out so they can figure out if they want to do things any differently based on that work. And then, uh, when I was up in Seattle at the university of Washington, we're actually doing the medical surveillance work for Seattle fire department. So, uh, firefighters, you know, get annual medical surveillance, or at least, you know, many of the career folks do, right. Is kind of a, a the, the standard. And you can actually look at both the information about an individual person that's called medical screening, and then you can follow them over time. That's uh, as a group that's called medical surveillance. And so we, we found, and I don't know, I, I'll, I'll let you get a, a word in edgewise here, Chris, but I could talk about what we found there that kind of led to some of the research we're doing afterwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I would love to create some sort of a base. Um, I mean, not only for you know my my understanding, and like we had just kind of talked about off off air, um, so much of of what we know that's in, um, you know, or or, or a hazard to us is either going to be from the AFFF foam that we know about or the the products products of combustion inside of the house. So I'm super interested to to learn everything that you studied, and I wanted to ask you. Um, in, in the course of your research, and I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead uh, here by any means, but in your research with firefighters and, and their, I guess, uh, the, the, the contents that they're burning or the discussions that you've had with them, have, have, have you seen or heard of just through those conversations a, a difference in, I guess the word would be fire load or combustion contents Um in some, but in, in the in the homes that that may have introduced mm. new chemicals uh, that that maybe weren't present uh, when you first started, but but were present now. And again, I apologize if this is going to come, you know, if I'm foreshadowing or anything like that. No, I these are all great questions. Um, so let me kind of take your question uh, your question about the burning materials in houses. So I think we all know that. There's a lot, you know, we're in the age of plastics, right? There's all the plastics in our home. Um, it's actually interesting that uh, we're seeing higher exposures overall. And this is work we've been doing in partnership with Tucson Fire Department. And I'd like to talk about that later if we get a chance, because it's a true partnership. Absolutely. So the questions come, yeah, come from the fire service, and we work together to, to answer them. So we were actually looking at levels of, combustion products, PAHs, and uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbon metabolites in the urine of firefighters, you know, both before fires, because you could get some from eating, you know, grilled meat and things like that, uh, just, uh, you know, certain low-level exposures, and then after fires. And we, we were trying to figure, you know, we were looking at various things that would predict whether you had a higher level of exposure, you know, why you had a higher level of exposure or a lower level. And one of the things we found was that 
actually residential fires as compared to commercial fires had higher level resulted in higher levels of chemicals in the urine. Um, so I think it just shows that, you know, in your house, you've got all this stuff that's available to burn, both kind of older products like wood uh, and, you know, newer things like plastics. And you certainly can get a whole different set of chemicals from burning plastics than you do for burning wood. Now, would that um, be, would the exposure level be on residentials because, I guess, combination of, of the contents that are in there? Or, or was there another factor um, that the, the, the residential house is a more compact, compartmentalized structure that would maybe place a, a firefighter more in a surrounding of combustion products as opposed to maybe a commercial dwelling where you have you know higher ceilings, bigger footprint, bigger, bigger box for that smoke to fill um, and maybe change the density of that? Or was that not really a, a measurement um, of the research? Well, we, we didn't look into that, but this is why it's really important that we work in partnership with the fire service. Because when we find these things, like, you know, differences between a, a commercial and residential, that's, that's when I go and ask my fire service partners, I say, why is this? So this isn't one of the things that we've been into uh, in great detail. We had, you know, some other findings that I discussed with them, like uh, that had to do with some of the interventions that they put in place and that we studied. But that's a, you know, that's a question that I think the fire service would be able to, you know, tell us the, the most about, and particularly the guys at Tucson Fire will know those specific fires we're talking about, because they, they knew which fires we went to, and, you know, they had a very good idea of what that in each individual fire was about. But that's just, I, I brought it up as, uh, so I don't know the full answer, but I, that's when I look to, to, like Certainly. fire service research partners to explain to me what they think is going on uh, because they're the closest to it, if you will. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the residential fire that you found that had the, the, the most levels of exposure. So what happened after that? Well, I mean, so, so just that I was kind of getting at the, the point of um, why do, why do firefighters, you know, some firefighters have higher levels okay. of chemicals in their urine than others. So, some of the things that we were doing with this study, which is funded by FEMA and actually directly preceded the firefighter cancer court study. So many of the things that we're doing in the firefighter cancer court study, you know, were, were test run, if you will, working with Tucson Fire Department. So we wanted to know when, what, you know, who got exposed, particularly in the fire ground, you know, and why did some people have higher levels than others? And, and, and they, we wanted to know that because we wanted to be able to figure out what type of interventions to put in place. So what we found were a few things. One, um, everybody on the fire ground got exposed. So if you were a paramedic and you were running rehab, if you're an engineer, right, operating the trucks, uh, if you were, you know, those folks had very significant increases in their urinary PAHs after a fire. Um, in some cases, as high as some of the entry teams. Uh, but so, first of all, everyone on the fire ground got exposed. So that was a bit of an eye-opener because we figured, you know, you're going to park up wind, right? You know, I know the wind changes and things like that. But that was the first surprise that, hey, everybody on the fire ground got exposed. So that's that led to some of the interventions that Tucson Fire decided to put in place afterwards. But 
The other thing was, you know, even within that, there were, you know, some folks that had higher than others and individuals that went interior, again, probably not a surprise, right, had higher levels of urinary pHs than those that were outside. And furthermore, for every minute you spent interior, you had a 1% increase in the amount of, of these pHs in your urine. So if you were inside for 15 minutes, you had a 15% higher in, you know, uh, amount of these urinary pHs. And that was not true of the time you spent outside. So there was clearly exposure going on to those guys. Um, and you know they were wearing their SCBA. So Tucson Fire Department's a great fire department. Um, you know, they pay attention. You know, they're, they're using their equipment appropriately. So we also think that that, you know, is that increase is from stuff getting in through your skin. So there could be some off-gassing afterwards, but the fact that there's that direct relationship of 1% increase for every minute you spend inside, and clearly you're using your SCBA all the time. You're inside one of these fires, right? It's a building on fire. Um, you are getting it likely through your skin. So it, again, shows the importance of, you know, cleaning your skin and taking showers and stuff afterwards. So that was, um, that, and then other things we found were, this was before the time when we were changing, uh, when they started to change out hoods, like they do nowadays, you know, after each fire, you change out your hood. It, uh, we found that individuals that had not cleaned their hoods for a while actually had more increase in the, their urinary pHs than those who had recently cleaned them. So these are all things that we found, you know, that, that helped support the type of interventions that they were starting to put in place. And then, you know, that, that and that we also tested afterwards. Yeah, I, no, that's incredible. And I think it speaks volumes to um, not only the, the, I guess, decon itself. Um, and, and really it speaks volumes to, you know, uh, that kind of information coming forward if you're operating a truck because if you're operating a truck on the exterior you're you're kind of i don't want to say you, you feel that you're in the safe zone but you feel that you're you know way more uh protected or or, or or at less risk which the research does prove that but it also does not make you immune to uh those levels that's pretty damn incredible yeah the uh so tucson took this information and they chose to put into place a couple interventions. So they were they they were already starting to put in place, you know, the clean cab, uh, you know, uh, bagging the gear right before you return to the station, putting it exterior if you couldn't, you know, if you had to put it in the cab, putting it inside of a plastic garbage sack. Um, they had already started to do this the, the using wipes, doing you know skin cleansing you know, uh, at during rehab when the guys, you know, came out. Um, so they were already doing a number of those things, but some additional things that they put in place based on that work was, first of all, putting engineers on air. So they, they after, you know, after looking at the data and thinking about the best things to do, they chose to have the engineers use their own SCBA because they figured they already know how to use it, right? You don't have to worry about, you know, cartridge, uh, you know, additional cartridge uh, respirators or, or things of that nature. So uh, they put the engineers on air. And so when they got to the scene, they put on their SCBA. They worked through, you know, con communication concerns that the guys had. 
and and did that. Um, the other thing that they did was to institute washdown, and they specifically call it washdown rather than decon because they there's the concern when you say decon of you know now you have to impound that water coming off somebody right. Whereas if it's washdown, it's a little different situation. Um, it, it's it's the same action, but it has a different connotation. Sure. They they took uh, and again a lot of the firefighters listening to this have you know, probably seen this and are familiar with it. But just the usual buckets, right, with a brush and Dawn soap, um, and they 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 take the hose. You know, at at uh, I again I'm not a firefighter, so I'm hoping I'm using the right term when I say low bail. Um, you know, low flow state. Sure. Uh, that that. Uh, so it's just enough to kind of get the guys, you know, um, wet on the outside of their gear um, without soaking them through, brushed, and then they would brush off the gear before they removed their their uh, regulators. So they are, you know, before taking off anything at all, they cleaned off their gear. And they, uh, the folks at Tucson Fire Department took some beautiful pictures seeing how, you know, the, how different it was before and afterwards. And... Then once all their uh, they had cleaned off the gear on the outside, they were able to doff it, you know, and then um, put it into a bag, right, for for um, uh, going back cleaning. So we then compared the levels of the pHs in the urine before this was done, uh, before they had done kind of the intervention. So that was the time when we were seeing the engineers with high levels and and everyone else. And then we looked at it again for the next set of, of fires. Um, I can't remember exactly how many, but you know, around 15 or 20 fires, the next set of them. Um, and the, both uh, the entry teams and the engineers had reductions in the amount of chemicals in their urine by about 40%. So that's a pretty good reduction, you know, close to half. Uh, and that's just from these interventions they put in place. So these things clearly had an effect. We use the term statistically significant, meaning that it's that it's likely not due to chance, you know, so because we're seeing big differences in comparison. Um, so these interventions, we proved that they worked. Uh, TFD, Tucson Fire Department, took this from kind of a trial SOP to now this is what they do. And they trained every single person on this. So they took the results. Actually, they even before they put the interventions in place, they took all the results and, uh, the, and showed them to everyone to explain why they wanted to do stuff. So this wasn't just kind of like a command thing. It was an education thing. And what I really liked, and this is something that I wouldn't have thought of, but you know, my firefighter research colleagues did, they pointed out like each dot that makes these graphs, you know, that that's a data point. It's a concentration of the chemicals in the urine. And they said to the firefighters, one of that, you are one of those dots or one of those dots is you, you know, that's you, that's the amount of chemicals in your urine. So they really personalize it. So they would actually come, you know, as safety officers, they'd come to a fire and the guys were already doing what they should have been doing. And it was because of the effectiveness of the way that they trained and explained these interventions to the guys. So I just, you know, we, if we hadn't been working as a team, we never would have had the guy, you know, probably convinced the guys to do this 
uh, and to be able to measure it and show it was effective. So it just, this, it, in, for me, this clearly shows, if nothing else does, this close the, uh, shows the benefit of that close collaboration where we're working as a research team. What, uh, when, you were, what, when you were working with Tucson and the research was coming out and they were, they were seeing those data points, you know, was more or less, was, was there uh, a, a pretty significant, um, I know they did, this, you said they did a great job in the attempt to, you know, personalize it. Did, in your discussions, did, what was their, what was their receptiveness or their response to hearing that information? Well, I, I, my, and again, you'd have to talk with them to get the, the direct information, right? This is just my impression, things that I've heard. Um, you know, I think, you know, starting off, putting engineers on air, there was concern about communication, right? I mean, so, you know, are, are people going to be able to hear me, et cetera? And so they worked through those concerns. They figured out ways of allowing the engineers to do their job, right, while on air. So they had to listen to the concerns and they had to work through them and to figure out a way to make it work. And if, And it's another amazing thing about firefighters. They figure out how to make things work, right? I mean, that's a skill that firefighters have. So, and it's amazing. So, you know, you just harness that and you say, look, this is a problem we got to solve. How are we going to do it? And they got to a point where people were comfortable with this. So, so uh, uh, I don't know, I, Chris, I can't remember if that was all your question or if I'm missing something there. No, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a weird thing in our, in our profession because we, we go, we go through all these these habits, especially on EMS runs, and and you know, you, I'm sure you've seen it in in your experience in the medical community. It's the um, the ability to preach one thing: the the you should follow this diet, or you should follow this life path, and, and, and your 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 markers and, and, and everything will will start to align better. And then we have so many people in our profession that. Um, We'll preach that, especially on EMS run. If you if you run someone that is sickly or or maybe has the less than ideal lifestyle, you'll kind of preach to them and say, "Hey, you know, I would drink more water. I, you know, if you walk more." But when it comes to our own health and kind of what what faces us, we kind of have this this I won't call this an invincibility wall, but it's it's more or less a stubborn wall where we're kind of like not receptive to maybe our own health and and seeing some some parameters and some markers that are going to make us face the music i think i'll and, and and a lot of times what 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 we're seeing here i think would probably scare the hell out of a lot of firefighters to know not only you know to hear yeah we we go into it's it's twofold really you know we we go into a fire we know there we're surrounded by methyl ethyl bad stuff and it's it's oil it's basically like floating oil and it's going to bind to us and you know we have these risks um, but what's, what's enlightening, I guess, is the clear benefit that we're seeing that, that doing a washdown and doing a Nomex hood swap and getting that gear up, th- those by themselves are, are doing, you know, objectively a lot of good to, um, you know, limit, limit our cancer risk. And I, and I think the, the, just listening to the research that you guys put into it is so refreshing to see that sort of. Um, partnership between the fire service where the fire service gets a very bad rap for the saying of a hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And um, to see 
to see the progression and to see the involvement um, with a with a big, you know, urban fire department like Tucson getting on board with the research on a collegiate level, um, like the University of Arizona and yourself, I think is just so incredible to see that kind of partnership. So it's it's, it's super refreshing to hear, Doctor. Well, and and you know, I, I we've had the great pleasure to uh, and and you know, an honor really to work with Tucson Fire Department, and we're we're also working with other fire departments, you know, throughout the country with the firefighter cancer cohort study, um, and you know, I I just say it's every single fire department. I'm impressed that there are. You know, there's a large number of individuals that want to make their job as safe as possible, right? They, they want everybody to go home, right? Either it's after that fire immediately or it's kind of, you know, at the end of a career. So this is, I, you know, I hear the tradition thing and I, and I get that. Um, and, but on the other hand, I've just found the fire service to be incredibly receptive on this. And it's not just, again, the idea of asking the questions. So the fire service needs to, you know, they, they, they need to say what information they need so that they can make their decisions. But, you know, uh, it's, it's beyond just that. It's the participation in the research. It's the ability to kind of um, actually get involved in ways that, that, you know, perhaps places really weren't doing as much in the past, but that we can do now. And I'll give you, an example there. So we also work with a number of uh, fire departments in California. And so we were working with uh, Los Angeles County, working with uh, Orange County Fire Authority as well. And we had some fundings uh, from NIOS, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, to, again, within the firefighter cancer cohort study framework. And I can talk about that again, what does that involves in a moment. But to really study wooey fires, what exposures came from wildland urban interface fires. And one of the things that, you know, those fire departments did uh, was they actually were able to, to take additional training so that they could do what we call human subjects research that, you know, they learned uh, about, you know, how to safely collect data to, to, you know, um, uh, to maintain privacy uh, things of that nature. And so, for example, right now in L.A. County, when they get a new recruit class, they're enrolling there. And again, it's all voluntary. Right. No one's forced at all. And in fact, we're always happy to say have people say, no, this is not something I want to do because it just it proves that it's voluntary. Um, but they're enrolling a large percentage of their new recruits, um, other groups, for example, trainers, et cetera, into the study themselves. And for the WUI, they were actually out there co helping us collect the urine, bringing it back to a location where we could pick it up because it wasn't safe to have us academics out there right in the middle of a campaign fire. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. So, so they were bringing those things back to us, doing things that we never could have done without them. Uh, and so, you know, together we can have this really effective team. So it's not just Tucson. You know, we're doing this with other fire departments and each study kind of has its own uh, individual purpose. And I would say to anyone out there that, you know, there's likely a university near you that you could work with on any number of issues. 
There's other fire departments who want to know, you know, how much sleep should you provide to someone if they're working a 48-hour shift? You know, those are all important questions we haven't gotten into, but they there are answers out there through research. Um, that's actually a level of commitment to this study that I think has to be addressed. The fact that you're working on a campaign fire out in the interface, and then you have to shuttle in someone's urine sample to, you know, back back, back to the, 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 the labs and everything. That That is, um, I mean, if you can just take a minute and just picture, you know, for those that are listening, picture yourself like, on duty, deployed on the fire ground in whatever interface, and then when things are lowing down, like you have to collect urine samples and then get them back. That 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 is definitely a a, a commitment that should not be um, overshadowed by any means, um, Doctor. What? Uh, and I really want to go into the, the cohort study next, but I wanted to, I was just kind of wondering here when you were doing when you were doing uh your your residency and and you became a doctor and what what was your opinion thought of firefighters you know 30 years ago um and now that you've come this far and you've been embedded cuz you you speak the language and the lingo like you just stepped off the truck you know the terms you know terms of bail and you know we we you know I, we talked to, well, you talked to like other other professors, really, and 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 they're geniuses and they're great people, super, you know, you know, very well educated. Um, but it's clear that that you have have been embedded really in the fire service to have terms like washdown or bail or you know you you are clearly you know in in the know. So you know what has been you know, your your you know um, opinion or or perception of firefighters 30 years ago to where we are now gosh you know i I think it's hard for me to answer that question because i've changed during the same time so you know when i first started working with firefighters uh you know i i was focusing just on that narrow thing i i mentioned to you checking to see how well face pieces fit right i mean is because the reason that we were doing that uh that you know that this was i think important um, was we were, this is many years ago, we were seeing that firefighters had problems during overhaul. Um, and when I say that, that, you know, they were getting uh, inflammation of their lungs from, from not wearing SCBA at the time. Uh, and, and this is way back. So these are kind of, these were different times. I don't think people appreciated the, the concentration of chemicals that were present, for example, in overhaul. Um, and now they do, right? I mean, even if there's not visible smoke, I think most firefighters know that there's that there are chemicals still in the air. Uh, and and again, not seeing something doesn't mean nothing's there. So I just early on, I just had no idea of kind of the complexities of things that firefighters had to do. Um, I didn't think about it from their perspective. Right. I was just we're doing a study, you know, we're answering this one particular question. But as kind of time went on, um, you know, you work more and more with firefighters. You realize how dedicated they are to what they do, to keeping all the rest of us safe. Um, (laughs) The incredible variety of things that they have to do, you know, because, again, you know, most calls are EMS. Right. I mean, you got to be good at fires, but you got to be good at EMS, too. The whole, you know, all the rescue side, um, 
everything else that's going on. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing, you know, to think about how many things firefighters have to be good at. Um, I'd say, you know, again, work and in terms of doing co this collaborative research, I, I, I'd learned stuff over time doing ride alongs as an emergency doc, right? All those other things. I, I, but it was really through doing the research where I would learn to speak a little bit of what I call firefighter, right? And they would learn to speak a little bit academic. So one of my favorite things was when uh, one of our, you know, my close friend and colleagues, uh, Captain John Galata of Tucson Fire Department was, you know, someone gave a presentation and the first question he asked was, yeah, but was it statistically significant? <laughs> so, I mean, so it's a great example of like, you know, we've been meeting regularly, right? Um, at least once a month to go over kind of all the, the, you know, the way the projects were going and much more frequently beyond that. And so every single meeting where we had research, you know, we all met together as a group, the academics and the fire service. And, and so they were learning, you know, and at the same time we were learning. I and mean, we had this one thing that we saw in Tucson where, um, the engineers and the entry teams had decrease of the chemicals in their urine with these interventions, but the captains, not so much. So they actually looked into it and, you know, they, they believe that it was a communications issue and, you know, sometimes the captains were taking away and I hope no, no one from Tucson Fire is going to get upset at me for saying this, but you know, they, that some of the guys were taking their, 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 um, SCB, their, their SABA, excuse me, the regulator off, from their SCBA so that they could communicate better. That's something they've worked on, they're working on now. But we were th we think that maybe it's because of those exposures that they weren't seeing the same reduction that everybody else was. So they, you know, I would have just said, well, why were captains different, right? I wouldn't have known, but they knew that um, and because they were part of it. And then I think the other thing that's really critical too is when I go out and talk with the fire service, because academics, other academics, of course, they want to hear about this stuff. They want to know what's effective. But really, the audience that's important are the firefighters themselves. And when we give presentations, it's always a collaboration. So whatever fire department I'm working with, you know, we present together on these things. We've had the longest history with Tucson. But I, I, I really would, would prefer not to talk with firefighters without one of the firefighter researchers being with us. I'll do it, of course. But it's much better to have that firefighter there who can kind of help, you know, who can make sure that when I'm giving my message, I'm giving it, you know, at the right level, that I'm providing the right sort of information, et cetera. It makes a world of difference. No, that's uh, that's awesome. And and I can just think on the, the, the firefighter perspective is it makes it reestablishes how critical it is that we always maintain a higher level of um i a will and person and um education self self-education for our job to maintain our own pride in the job because i think there's also so much um i want to say like media behind it because it's really not the media but it's old old biases that travel forward on the fire service where it's just a bunch of guys that sleep all day. They go in, they put some wet stuff on the hot stuff. And then to have such um, the pendulum on the other side of that biasy of of just in 
ingrained in collegiate level cancer research with 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 the fire service is so amazing to hear that that is continuing to happen because I think it's really making I think it's making the fire service better and I and I love the fact that the 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 firemen that were getting engaged were really seeing the benefit and also you know, you know taking that higher level even in their in their rhetoric communicating just makes us a more you know prideful organization um, as a profession I think and it's incredible. Um, so if, if you could, doctor, you know, what is the, the, we've mentioned a couple of times, what is the, the firefighter, uh, cohort study? And, you know, I, we talked really what kind of, div, what, uh, precipitated before that, but what in fact is the cohort, cohort study? Yeah. So, uh, we call it the firefighter cancer cohort study or FFCCS and, you can kind of, uh, you know, Google or whatever search engine that, and there's a website. So if folks want to learn a little bit more of the details, they can. And essentially it's a, uh, in, in research terms, we call it a uh, prospective multi-center cohort study. Cohorts is a fancy word, academic word for group. So it's a group of firefighters from more than one fire department Right. Because I think that's critical because things vary. You know, there are differences across the country, for example, in cancer rates. We don't know why that is. And it's one of the things if we want to fight cancer, we need to know why it's different in one part of the country than the other. Um, Some things are similar, but some things vary. So uh, we and and it's prospective, which means it's looking forward. A lot of people will have heard of that. uh, The NIOSH Free City study. Uh, that was involving uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco, and that you know showed that firefighters had a number of, can- of, of types of cancer that were elevated compared to the general population. That was a retrospective study, so it looked at exposures that had already occurred previously. And you're asking, you know, at the time, does firefighter kind of have cancer or or, or not? And then you look back and you look at their exposures. Um, we are going forward over time, and the the important thing there is because we're going forward over time, and now we have, gosh, I, 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 I hate to say it, but we've got a number of different studies going on. I don't know the exact number right now, but we have well over 20 fire departments involved in different parts of the country on different parts of the study. But the, what's, what's consistent is that we, when the firefighters come in, they fill out some surveys, give them information about you know, their, their health, uh, their occupational exposures, um, you know, family history of cancers, things like that. Uh, and then we collect blood and urine. And we can use that uh, blood and urine to measure both exposures, like for the urine, for example, um, we can look at the urinary polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, as I mentioned before with Tucson. But we, with the blood, we can look at, at biomarkers of effect. These are things that are associated with the exposure, they can put you at higher risk of cancer. And I'll, I'll talk about how important those are in a moment um, and what they're being used for. But that's at its core is just coming in, getting the blood, urine, filling out a survey. And then depending upon the nature of the study, you know, of each individual study within the firefighter cancer core study, because there's a number of individual studies that look at different things, that we want to follow up with people every about year to two years 
to collect more samples, get more information. Um, so right now, I think we're about 2,000 firefighters into the study. We were hoping to get to 10,000. We still want to get there. You know, we're relatively early in this. Uh, we're about uh, five years into it. We want to follow people forward until they retire. So, you know, up to 30 years. So we were just at the beginning of this. And yet I think we've gotten a lot of really useful information out of it. Uh, and and so let me stop there for a second uh, and see if you got questions, Chris, before I talk about some of the biomarkers and what we've been able to do with them so far. No, I'm uh, I'm caught up. I'm good. Um, I, it's really cool to, to hear that um, it's going to be hopefully a, a long-term study that's going to go the, the career duration, but no, I'm good. Keep going. I love, I, I love, I love this. So one of the things that we're doing is, uh, and, and for a lot of the studies is we're bringing in both new recruits and incumbents so we can compare them. And what we found so far is that when we look at incumbents as compared to new recruits and we, we do this thing called adjusting, it's a statistical approach, you know, to, to adjust for things that may be different between the two groups, like age. Obviously, your incumbents are generally going to be older than your new recruits, on average. Um, when we do that, we can find that these, these markers are called epigenetic markers, which kind of is above the gene. They, they are, they're like light switches that turn on and off gene expression. They're important in every form of cancer. And when we look at the status of these markers comparing incumbents to new recruits, we see that there's a higher cancer risk. These markers, which are associated with cancer in the general population, are uh, show a higher risk of cancer in the incumbents and the new recruits. Again, not so surprising. And what we're finding is for a number of those markers, even after two years of firefighting, that there's been a change. So we compare the guys at two years, and when I say guys, men and women, um, to when they first came in, and we're already seeing changes over that two-year period. This information was used by the group that advises IARC. IARC is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, and they are the international agency that determines the association between a particular occupation or a chemical and cancer. So they reviewed firefighting a number of years ago and found it just possibly related that firefighting was only possibly related to cancer. My firm belief, the belief is that it is related, right? But they need the data to be able to prove that. So one of the things they didn't have was this mechanism by which the exposures cause cancer. And these epigenetic markers that we've already published on, right, how, were used by the group that advised IARC to say, you need to revisit this. So IARC has agreed to revisit the association between cancer and firefighting, and they're going to do it in June of 2022, next year, like a year from now. So that's that's a huge uh, amount of progress. In addition to some of the newer uh, studies, epigen uh, the epidemiologic studies like the NIOSH one I mentioned, and I and I firmly believe that you know they're going to have a lot more data upon which to to make this determination, and. From my perspective, that determine the the you know information is clearly showing a link between exposures and these markers of increased risk of cancer. Now, so, would that um, now would that data have potential, and, and that that international group have have potential to 
I want to say positively change in, in terms of for the firefighter, but at least impact, um, for instance, workers' comp claims. Yes. So we've already used the, the data we've come up with from these studies so far to support expansion of the cancer presumptive laws in the state of Arizona. So that information is there. Um, also, you know, that this information that's published, you know, you, you can see that, you know, that this particular marker, which has changed in incumbent, you know, uh, firefighters or new recruit firefighters over two years is associated with a certain type of cancer that those studies can be used to help support claims as well. So who's ever, you know, um, if a physician is looking at this, they can find this association it helps, you know, it can help those individual cases as well. But, you know, I, I, I do, uh, I, I, I'm certain that the more information we have, you know, the, the um, more background, the more research is going to be able to help support these cancer presumptive laws, you know, to continue to expand them or, or to address issues that have come up. So because we have just a limited number of cancers right now that are covered in some places. And this information is already, you know, showing associations for other cancers that might not all be covered so far. Now, what in, in, in your research and others that exist right now, what, what cancers are you finding to be, I guess, the highest prevalence among, uh, among firefighters? Yeah. You know, um, It's it's interesting when you talk about prevalence, you know, which is, you know, how much is at, you know, in, in the general population at a certain time or incident, which incidents, which is new cases. Um, some things are have a greater percent increase in firefighters as compared to the general population, and some are just common. And so they're going to have a lot of them. So lung cancer is one that. Uh, Based on that, the one NIOSH study that I'd mentioned previously with, um, again, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco, had about a 10% increase compared to the general population. So it was, it was significantly elevated, but by 10%. But since, uh, since lung cancer is, so, is one of the most common cancers in the U.S., that's a lot of lung cancer cases. Whereas other things, um, and uh, again, in that same study, kidney cancer and uh, colorectal cancer were both up in the range of, you know, 30 plus percent. And that's a lot then higher than the general population. That's still a lot of cases, but if the cancer is not as common, right, as lung cancer, a 30% increase may be a smaller total number of cases than a 10% increase. I know I made that kind of complex, but hopefully you can follow the logic there. So I like to think of it as, you know, um, the percent increase over the general population rather than a specific prevalence. And when we look at that, I mean, some of the ones that I'm, in addition to colorectal cancer, that I think are, are really important, I think kidney cancer, is one that's really important. I'm all, they're all important, and and just because I'm leaving one off the list doesn't mean that no, it's no, not no, important. no, you're, you're good. Yeah, um, but 
Other ones, again, as I said, the colorectal cancer, because those are so common. <clears throat> Some of the cancers that are not quite as common can have really significant, very marked increases. I think brain cancer, if I remember from a California study, was up something like 50%. Um, in that same study of <clears throat> the three studies with NIOSH, mesothelioma, which is due to asbestos exposure, was up 100% over people in the general population. So, and, you know, that that's clearly, in my mind, probably from the years prior to using SCBA during overhaul, because that's probably when you're getting a lot of exposure, right? Pulling, pulling ceiling tile, sure. you know, yeah. other things like that. Um, and that's why, again, it's another, it's sometimes it's not necessarily like always the products of combustion. It can be the other stuff that's there when you're, that you're exposing yourself to that's now coming out because of the fire itself and the demolition that's associated with it. Um, so, but they're all, you know, all of these cancers are, are, are really important. And sometimes the hardest thing for the firefighters are these unusual cancers that are rare because we just don't, they don't, there's not enough of them in these big epidemiologic studies to be able to kind of prove, if you will, that they're up in, firefighters from an epidemiologic study perspective, but if you can show that some of these cancers are associated with certain type of epigenetic changes and that those epigenetic changes occur in firefighters, that again is another piece of ammunition to bring up during a workers' compensation claim. When you were going through the, the markers, in, in, were you expecting or did you not have, I guess, an, anticipa an anticipation to see changes in firefighters that had only been on for two years? Because I think that's a that's such a a short um, length of service for the for yeah. fire service in general that I think that would surprise a lot of people that would have the 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 recruits, and that's a time frame with recruits. And those that are the probably the youngest guys that are probably seeing the most amount of exposure based on certain areas and certain departments where the the the, the rookie fireman is going to be some degree on the nozzle. They're, regardless, they're going to be on the front line, and then when they're done, they're going to be and they're definitely going to be in some form of rehab, uh, pulling the same pulling those ceilings and back in the exposure as well. So that's really, I think, significant and, and pretty, pretty substantial to see that, uh, that, that, that change in two years. Were you surprised when you saw that? Well, honestly, I'm kind of a skeptic, even with my own research, I was okay. really surprised. Even when we compared the incumbents to the new recruits, how consistently the things that were different were different in a way that put the fire that that posed a higher cancer risk for the firefighters, and specifically, um, I'll give you an example. There's things called microRNAs, and they they can either work as they're different from the messenger RNAs that we are using for the um, Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines. So that's an mRNA, and where we're looking at micro or mi RNA. Sure. Um, so I just wanted. Just make sure that people knew that they were they were different. Right. But <clears throat> these microRNAs can act as either oncogenes, <clears throat> excuse me, that increase 
they're associated with an increased risk of various cancers or a tumor suppressor gene is associated with a reduced risk of certain cancers. And overall, when you looked at the ones that were different between the incumbents and the recruits, in almost all cases where you had an oncogene, it was going up in the firefighters. And in almost all cases of the tumor suppressor genes, they were going down in the incumbent firefighters, both placing them at increased risk. Well, when we looked at the same thing over the two years and saw which kind of microRNAs were changing over this two-year period, unfortunately, we saw the same type of pattern where things that were tumor suppressors, which are you know good for you to have, were going down, and things that were onco, you know, that acted as oncogenes, which are bad for you to have, were going up after two years in general. It's not a perfect 100% picture, but uh, you know, pretty overwhelmingly otherwise. So these are, yeah, I was, I must admit, I was really surprised. And I'm not saying this is the only way that firefighting can cause cancer. I think it's really important to look at other ways. And, you know, these are things we, we talk about all the time with our the firefighter colleagues. Are there other things we can look at? Are there other markers, you know, that are, that are quality that are out there, you know, that we believe in their, their ability to look at things, to be able to detect things. And so, you know, we, we hope to add additional markers that we can look at. But right now, these epigenetic markers, both the microRNA and something else called DNA methylation, have been really useful to identify things that occur as a result of firefighter exposures that in the future, we hope to be able to also look at the effectiveness of, of interventions, not just you know, exposure reduction like we've been doing so far, but other things that, you know, that we could say, well, we believe that we can reduce the risk of cancer by doing these things, see whether those, those changes that we're seeing now over two years, whether we can reduce those changes with these interventions you know, to come in the future. And, the, and those changes, I mean, I would have to assume could be non-exposure related sleep and shift life and nutrition and yes. other markers, obesity, yeah. sleep, like, you know, sleep quality, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah Chris, it, you, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think that's a really important point. We do know that there are carcinogenic cancer causing, in other words, products of combustion you know, benzene, formaldehyde, or just two. There's a ton more. Um, asbestos, there's another one, right? Um, diesel particulate matter. These are all things, you know, that could come from vehicles. Um, all of those things we know that firefighters are exposed to, we know that they cause cancer. And therefore, it is really, it is important to reduce exposures, you know, to uh, when we can. Now, the shift work is also a probable human carcinogen and firefighters have shift work so we can't just think that the fire ground is the whole bit and i think there's a whole series of research projects that need to be done to figure out how can we kind of reduce the effects of the adverse effects of shift work with firefighters how does and, shift and work, I can't give you how does shift work um affect uh the potential for cancer well the the theory and it's it's it was interesting because when IARC reviewed firefighting before, they had shift work in painting also. I don't think there's any relation between painting and firefighting, but but there is right. a relationship between shift work and firefighting, and they consider it again shift work to be probably 
carcinogenic to humans. And part of that too is they have animal models. We don't have animal models of firefighting, not surprising, right? Um, but they did have animal models of, of shift work where they exposed the animals to light at night. And they believe it has to do with, you know, melatonin and things like that. Um, in terms of if you're exposed to light at night, it messes up your circadian rhythms and that can lead to cancer. And they actually showed in these kind of mice that they would take tumors and implant the tumors in the mice and then expose some to light at night and others not. And then once it got exposed to light at night, their tumors grew more rapidly. Um, wow. So they, they, so there's, there's clearly, and I don't know how early it goes. It's in the earliest phases of cancer because cancer has many phases, you know, from that initial cellular change um, to, uh, to later, uh, uh, to later steps like where you go and it met and the tumor metastasizes, right? So all different stages. Um, but so the, the, this is at least we know at the very end stage, there's an effect. Um, but again, you know, these are things that that remain to be looked at with the firefighter cancer cohort studies. So we're just really scratching the surface. It's one. And, and I probably should kind of wrap up now because I got to run off to one other thing. But um, I one of my favorite stories, again, comes from firefighters, as always, uh, was uh, uh, a, a lieutenant, Charlie Pop, who's a firefighter we've been working with in, in with the Boston Fire Department as kind of the, uh, the main point of contact, all the guys there are great, but he'd been really, he's been helpful and, and, and really essential in setting up, you know, our recruiting firefighters into it. And we were talking about, it, he said, well, you know, isn't this just kind of like a Framingham study for firefighter cancer? And I go, yeah, that's, that's it. And if you haven't heard of the Framingham study, it started back in the forties. And at that time, a whole, you know, men were dying of heart disease. We didn't understand why. We didn't understand what to do about it. Right. And it was because we followed people prospectively over time, prospective cohort study, and looked at interventions and you know risk factors, et cetera, that we know all the stuff we do now uh, that we know now, you know, that about the effects of cholesterol, right, aspirin, other things. We learned it because of that prospective cohort study. That's the same thing as the firefighter cancer cohort study. And just think of us as we're kind of like still in the forties when it comes to heart disease now for firefighter cancer. That's a great, uh, that's a great way to, uh, to put it. And I know you have to get going, but real quick, what's next for the cohort study? What's, uh, next on the immediate horizon for it? Yeah. So we're the wooey results we talked about should have those back by the end of the year. We're doing a lot of stuff with uh, purin polyfluoroalkyl substances or PFOS, you know, sources of exposure, firefighters, you know, uh, figuring out where it's coming from and what it's doing to them. So that's work that, again, we should be having a number of things coming out this year. Uh, we're doing work specific to trainers, to investigators in terms of their exposures and health effects. And then um, we've just also started studies uh, with both women firefighters who've been really an understudied group. Um, and, and the studies I talked about before, those things really involve predominantly male firefighters. So we want to see, you know, what is the same and what's different about women firefighters. And then also a project, uh, that's being run by Dr. Judith Graber out of Rutgers, which is in New Jersey, the specific to volunteer firefighters who are also a group that really, you know, have not been studied to the same extent as 
career firefighters, and it's really important to know what the differences and the things that are similar are. Incredible. Uh, Doctor, where can, uh, and last question, where can people find the co cohort study at? Yeah, so again, it's FFCCS, the Firefighter Cancer Cohort Study. So I think it's FFCCS.org. But if you just look, put in FFCCS, it'll take you there. Um, this is uh, a multiple universities working together. Uh, so Dr. Alberto Caban Martinez from the University of Miami is one of the co-leads, along with uh, me and Dr. Judith Graver at Rutgers. I mentioned her name as well. Dr. Miriam Calkins with the National Institute for Occupational Safety uh, and Health. And then Casey Grant, who is for many years the, exec the executive director of the Fire Protection Research Foundation. So those are kind of the leads. But those are, we are supported by all the firefighters that work with us, right? So when I say leads, that's the academic kind of government side. But it is, as I mentioned before, it's this partnership. So every single call on every one of these projects, we have firefighters involved helping to guide us and making sure that we're addressing the right issues. Awesome. Well, Dr. Burgess, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. I know you have to go. Um, but I can't thank you enough. I, and I guarantee the information that uh, you talked with today is going to be super helpful and knowledgeable and, and uh, beneficial to those that listen. And uh, I'm excited for the future of what, uh, what you and uh, all your colleagues are working on. Thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate the chance to talk about the research that we're doing here. And again, I'd like to thank you and the entire fire service for all the stuff that, you know, all the things you do for us, keeping us safe. So thank you. Awesome. Well, have yourself a good day, stay safe. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you sometime in the future with uh, some development on uh, the yes. study. I look forward to it. Thank you, Chris. Awesome. Well, have a good day, doctor. All right. You too. Take All care. Right. You Bye. too. Bye. I want to thank Dr. Burgess, Jeff, for coming on the podcast. I, I learned a ton. Um, it, it's clear that we have a ton more work to do for research on cancer because it's not going away. It's probably going to get way worse, and we have to get an understanding. And it's people like Jeff and all those involved in the cohort study that, um, that we're going to be able to find these answers. So uh, we're going to provide a link to the cohort study in the description, so check that out. Um, until then, until the next podcast, thank you for listening. Like and subscribe and uh, do that gross decon and get that bad shit, bad shit off you. So, all right, until next time, be safe, wash up, take a shower, feel for lumps. All right, guys. Bye.